What is up, people, and thank you so much for listening to this edition of the New Generation Sports Talk Podcast. I'm your host, EJ Stewart. We got a lot to get to on today's show. Should be a fun one. We're going to be talking a lot about Major League Baseball, the the dark cloud hanging uh, over the league after this Houston Astros cheating scandal has certainly um, certainly been difficult to shake, and um, and the, the commissioners having a tough time. A lot of players now are speaking out, so we'll, we'll kind of break all that stuff down and see where the league goes from here. Also, the NBA All-Star break is pretty much done. We'll have games resuming this week, but we'll do a little bit of a reflective on what happened, or reflection rather, on what happened this past weekend at the at the NBA All-Star game, which certainly garnered a lot more excitement and attention than in recent years. So we'll see how long uh, that we think can last uh, with that kind of new format that they did. Speaking of uh, formats, another week, another new playoff format. Last week we were talking about the Major League Baseball proposal. Now the NFL proposing... Uh, a different format for the playoffs, so we'll see if uh, I enjoy this one any more than the baseball one from last week. And, of course, we got Flames and Trash. We got Kendall's Court. It should be a really great show again. As always, joining me is my co-host, Kendall Stewart. Kendall, what is up, dude, and what are you looking forward to talking about today? Yeah, um, it's been a, it's been an interesting week in the sports uh, community. Um, I want to give a shout out to uh, Ryan Newman. Mm-hmm. You know, obviously had had a horrific, you know, crash at the day twenty five hundred this weekend, but uh, it's back. He's been released from the hospital, so shout out to Ryan Newman. Uh, called himself the Rocket Man. You know, big shout out because uh, that was one of the scarier moments we've had in sports in a long time. Uh, certainly in NASCAR, I would say since uh, the Dale Earnhardt situation, which mm-hmm. obviously I was too young to remember. Um, is, is it, isn't it not wild that like I feel like we haven't had like a document? I mean, it's probably been documented. We haven't had like a thirty for thirty or anything on Dale Earnhardt. Yeah, I, I don't, I, I don't know why that. Did, does ESPN still have the the NASCAR rights? No, right? Oh no, I actually. So that's, joke, why we, that's why we ain't never gonna see one. Joke with Shamari, I was like. Uh, or, you know, obviously from Imperial Broadcast, our brother, I was like, yeah, you know, ESPN, they, they, they stopped covering NASCAR. When, Yo, when like, like, I, like, I, when, as a kid, I really, really, I was a NASCAR fan. Yeah, I, I bought the video games. I had favorite racers. Actually, I, this was a sad weekend for me because uh, Ryan Newman was actually one of my favorite race car drivers growing up. Yeah. So, and a lot of that had to do with, you know, as a kid, you know, I lived on ESPN as a channel. That's, you know, besides, you know, uh, you know Nickelodeon Nick. and Cartoon Network, and when you got to teenage age, you know for me like MTV. Besides those channels, it was all ESPN. So anything ESPN was showing, I was into, and I, I really, really enjoyed NASCAR during that time. Probably between the ages of like eight. And Daytona like Five Hundred was like the All Star Game or the Super Bowl. Or yeah, it was mad dope. Event. Yeah, it was dope, and like, uh, and it was crazy because like you know I'm a black kid from Queens, and like the demographic of people who like NASCAR, like, I don't know for whatever reason, it never like dawned on me that, you know, from, like, the stereotype standpoint, I was not necessarily the, the target audience for NASCAR. But ESPN was showing yeah. it, so I was interested. And I think and once ESPN, you know, didn't re-up with NASCAR, I haven't, I've lost interest. I'm not as into it. And it's crazy. Like, even, like, the, the, the quote-unquote, you know, legacy shows, like, you know, I remember, uh, what's the name? Like, PTI used to cover NASCAR. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, the, the shows that, you know, Ron the Horn used to cover NASCAR. Like, that like now those shows don't even touch NASCAR ever under almost any circumstances. Yeah, but we know why that is. And it's kind of sad. Like you know, I, I don't like that. You know, I, I mean, I love that ESPN covers so much basketball because that's you know their bread and butter. 
because of the the money deal that they have. But I wish that they did do more baseball and they did more NASCAR and other sports and you know the World Cup and FIFA. Like, like I think that it, it is a dessert. And hockey is the, the sport that they've just completely abandoned. Um, yeah, and that was another thing where I used to love hockey growing up because of how much it was covered on ESPN. Now they have almost no coverage. So. Uh, shout out to ESPN. I have no beef with them, but it is unfortunate how things have changed and how much their coverage just like yeah, LeBron, LeBron, Zion, <laughs> like just like twenty four seven. Like and it's it not to be like that. It's everybody. You that know, is true. Everybody yeah. that doesn't have a stake in NASCAR doesn't care anymore. Um, so it's it, it's it's a shame, but um, but it's it, you know it's just, that's what, that's what's crazy to me is that like I feel like I still don't know much about the Earnhardt situation. Because obviously I was three years old, and you know, so long ago, nobody's talked about it recently, and there's been no documentary on it. I feel like it's a crazy story. I mean, I mean, him and his, I mean, Earnhardt Jr. was in the race. Yeah, like that. I mean, that's a crazy situation, and I, to not really, I, I mean, that's something I would. I mean, if look, if I was the if I was the director, I would. I that's that's a story that I would dig into, but um, still, I mean, it's very though, very very fortunate we did not have a. A repeat of that uh, tragedy, obviously this weekend. Um, but obviously, again, we did have All Star Weekend, which in the NBA was uh, also, you know, a little somber because of the David Stern and Kobe Bryant for sure uh, situations. But still, was a was a fun event, and with came we came away with a lot of interesting stuff uh, that we'll talk about uh, multiple different multiple different things that we'll talk about on the show. And if you're a NASCAR fan, too, of my generation, massive shout-out to those kids that played NASCAR Thunder 2003 and 2004. You know, those are my games, man. Dale Earnhardt <laughs> Jr. on the cover of 03. Yeah. Uh, Tony Stewart on the cover of 04. Like, that was what, that was, you want to talk about just the ESPN cover. That also got me into NASCAR. So, shout-out to the video gamers who, who played those games during that time. And as you said, yes, uh, of course, you know, rest in peace to Kobe and David Stern after this uh, this All Star Weekend. They, I think they had really touching uh, tributes and stuff to, towards those two men, especially Kobe Bryant. Um, and I thought the guys did a great job of honoring his legacy. But I think we'll talk about that a little bit later. The only, the only beef I, I had with uh, the All Star Weekend presentations is Common. Common had that great intro during the All Star Game, mm-hmm. where he kind of rapped, you know, each Every play. Single person, yeah. Yeah, that was cool, but my I had a major beef with that, <laughs> with that uh, intro because he's he's like going through essentially the history of Chicago basketball. You know, he's talking about Mark Aguirre, he's talking yeah. about you know Isaiah Thomas, D Wade. He never once referenced Derrick Rose, and to me, I think that was a major disrespect. Shout out to Common, excellent, obviously you know Hall of Fame rapper, but. You, and Chicago legend, but you can't omit Derrick Rose in the history of Chicago basketball. You know, for me, I think he's more... Do you more think it was on purpose? I, I almost feel like that omission is so crazy, it had to be it on has purpose. To, it, I, and maybe Derrick Rose said, maybe they reached out to him or for whatever reason. We know he pulled out of the skills challenge, but, like, to me, like, I mean, I would say he's a bigger or a more influential figure in the history of Chicago basketball than Dwayne Wade. Yes. That may be controversial, but... I don't... Dwayne Wade's a much better player, but right. Derrick Rose was a Chicago Bull. Yeah. From Chicago, number one pick. MVP. The only thing he didn't do was go to Illinois. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but outside of that, almost won a national championship, one and done, number one pick, goes to the Bulls, MVP at 21. So for, to, to omit him from the, from Chicago basketball lore to me was a, 
a massive disrespect. He is not trash this week because we have some other stuff to talk about, but um, I had to get that off my chest, though. Yeah, that was that was definitely uh, an unfortunate omission for sure. Um, and I, I don't think that is that controversial to suggest that, um, that you know, Rose is a much more Chicago figure than Wade. And that's no disrespect to Wade. I'm not trying to, you know, question his, you know, Chicago cred, so to speak, because he's, a, again, a Chicago legend. But, I mean, you're talking about a kid from the South Side, grew up there, went to Simeon, played for the Bulls, MVP, as you, I mean, you just read, read I mean, off all those accomplishments. You know, and Wade... No, he did grow up in Chicago a little bit, but then also moved to Robbins, Illinois, which is, you know, a suburb of Chicago, still in Cook County, but not the same. You know what I'm saying? Like, like didn't right. go to high school in Chicago. Like, if you're a Simeon legend, I mean, Simeon is the premier exactly. program in Chicago. Yes. Why Jabari Parker was so huge coming out of high school. Yeah. There are certain schools, Whitney Young's and other ones where Jaleel Okafor went, there are certain schools in Chicago that have more rep than others and more status and for for Derek Rose to be arguably the greatest player to ever come out of Simeon is is a huge deal. I mean, yeah, I don't know. It it, it was strange. I, it, it, like you said, it had to have been intentional for whatever reason. Um maybe cuz he's, he's not retired, maybe he's still he's still playing, maybe. but yeah. I don't, that's just that's just strange to me. I mean, yeah. you know, it mentioned Anthony Davis, I don't think. So, you can make that case as that's well. That's true. Yeah. Yeah, it could be that kind of player thing. Cause I just feel like you know, I mean, as a, as somebody who grew up, you know, I mean, we're we're from New York, and you know, when I was in high school and middle school, and Derrick Rose was huge, like he was a bigger, he was a bigger, you know, figure than Dwayne Wade was to the to kids. I don't know about the media, but for kids, like Derrick Rose was more influential. His shoes sold way better than Dwayne Wade's shoes ever did. Like yeah. again, not, and not a disrespect to Dwayne Wade, although Dwayne Wade. We will talk about later. Maybe he does deserve some disrespect this week, which we will talk about. And it's not because of his his legacy in Chicago basketball, but um, they have to do with the dunk contest. But we'll talk about that. Um, but nah, I just think omitting Derrick Rose was a was a huge uh, miss on uh, their part. Massive shout out to Derrick Rose, though. It's unfortunate he wasn't. Also, real quickly, not to. It's not on. It's not on our rundown. But I also wanted to ask you: What do you think about? Because the Hall of Fame class came out. No real surprises. At least not the class, but the finalists came mm-hmm. out. But Chris Bosh was not on it, and he was very upset. He he put out a video. I didn't watch the video. He put out a video talking about it and stuff. It's his first ballot opportunity. I thought that was a little strange. Um, strange that he was left off, or strange that he put a video about it. No, 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 not yeah, strange. He was left off. Yeah. Yeah, that was lost off. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's. I don't know. I feel like there are certain people. There are certain people who just don't acknowledge the greatness of some players who played in our league, and it's kind of startling when you get them in a conversation. Like Chris Bosh being one of them. Like when you tell people, I've had arguments with people at my job that Chris Bosh is going to the Hall of Fame. People are like, are you kidding me? And I'm like, do you know who's in the Hall of Fame in baseball? I mean, the basketball. <laughs> like, like, it's kind of like, it's it's like disrespectful to say someone like Chris Bosh, who has all the championships, all those all-star game appearances, all those NBA, all-NBA teams, is not a Hall of Famer. Uh, it's like the same thing with people who argue that Dwight Howard's not a Hall of Famer. It's like, are you kidding me? Yeah. Dwight Howard, <laughs> Dwight Howard was the best player in his position for almost, like, almost a five, decade. Seven years. I was yeah. Almost- yeah, in terms of what I questioned the best player, definitely at least five or six years. You could argue he was the best player for a decade yeah, at his position. Certainly top three for like almost a day, for pretty much a decade. Right. So, like, 
what you're gonna put no centers from that like somebody's gotta get to the hall of fame like he was and he was like a guy that was just oh he was only good because he was a center he was a guy who took his team to the championship was among the top three four or five guys in the mvp voting for several years in a row clear hall of famer and i just don't get the nba they're doing this thing of like no uh like they're they're probably the strictest when it comes to the first ballot rule Maybe Are they? Baseball, I don't know. I, baseball, I think, is really strict. Yeah, baseball is probably the strictest, but, like, the NBA is up there in terms of, like, even guys like Chris Webber and, like, Chauncey Billups, like, and maybe those guys will never get in, but I just feel like, you know, it's not it's not as easy as we would expect to get in first ballot in the NBA, you know. That's what someone arguing that Chauncey Billups wasn't a Hall of Famer, and I was like, what world do I live in? Yeah, and he's not in yet, and he, I mean, I would put him in, but... The NBA has this thing of like you Bill know, Bradley's I'm, in the Hall of Fame, Kendall. I'm not, and I'm a Knicks fan, so no, absolutely <laughs> yeah, no disrespect to Bill Bradley. Bill. We got dollar bill disrespect from the Knicks. Bill Bradley averaged, I think, 13 Nick points Nick. for his career. Come on now, how you gonna yeah. tell me Chris Webber and Chauncey Bills ain't no Hall of Famer? Chris Bosh ain't a Hall of Famer. Like he won championships. He part. He was, he was part of a team that was iconic. I have no issue with him being in the Hall of Fame because we we all understand the standards are lower. I, I don't have an issue with him being in the Hall of Fame. But then these same people to say that Chris Webber or Chris Bosh or Dwight Howard aren't Hall of Famers. Is that why? It's like it's like you don't know who's actually in the Hall of Fame. I wonder if that's why Chris Webber was not at uh, All Star Weekend. Nah, you know, may not it may not be the case, but I don't think so. Interesting. It was weird that he wasn't on the broadcast or anything. Because they they you know he's their he's their lead guy and you know they announced the finalists at at, at All Star Weekend. He may have known like you didn't get in. <laughs> he's like, well. I but I can't imagine he would just not. I mean, I mean, you would think TNT would be like, "Yo, man, you showing up to work." <laughs> like at the end of the day, it's his job. Like, like that. That's the weird part. Is I don't, I don't know. Right. I feel like now. I mean, could they? Could he have that much clout with them? Where he could be like, "Yo, I don't want to go, knowing that I'm not going to make it." Maybe I don't know. He's. I mean, you said he's don't their know, top. Hill he's that top color analyst. Clout. Yeah, and Grant Hill will take that bag. But like, so he might. He might have that kind of clout. That would surprise me though. For someone who's still fairly new in the game. You know, he's been doing it for a while, but he's not like a 20-year color analyst. You know what I'm saying? Right, uh, right. He's a fast-rising guy. Yeah, and dig by top. Right, know. exactly. Who definitely could call his shots on things like that. Um, but we'll talk more about the All-Star game in a little bit. Let's talk about Rob Manford because the LB commissioner remains under intense scrutiny after the fallout from the Astros cheating scandal. Many of the game's most recognizable players, including... Uh, Aaron Judge and Cody Bellinger have slammed the Astros as cheaters and called for stiffer penalties against the players involved. I even saw a quote apparently today from John Carlos Stanton saying, if I knew every pitch I was coming, I hit 80 home runs in a season. Which, uh, yeah, that's cap. I agree. <laughs> I agree that's cap. <laughs> but but nonetheless, he did say that today. And um, and look, it's been it's been a rough it's been a rough road for Major League Baseball. I think that they didn't know, they didn't expect or know how bad this pushback would be. And I'm actually I'm kind of glad that the pushback has been so strong because I feel like we're at a time now where our fan base as a whole is so apathetic to a lot of things now. I just think that a lot of the times, like especially when it comes to like cheating, I, I think that a lot of people are willing to just turn a blind eye to certain things. Particularly baseball, where like the sport, there is some like unwritten rule cheating that's okay, and then there's written rule cheating that's not okay. <laughs> I wasn't right. sure how this was gonna go, and I'm actually pleasantly surprised that these guys have just been getting right through the coals and in the way they should. I just now, why, I just didn't think I that would happen. Theory. I, I want to hear your theory. Why do you think the players themselves 
Because this, I mean, the media typically takes takes it on themselves to to bash yeah sports figures, but the players now are saying, you know what? No, we're gonna bash you guys harder than the media has, yeah. and seriously harder than the league office has. Why? Why do you think that is? I have a theory, but why? Why do you think so? I've been thinking about this for a long time too, because it's definitely a little weird. I mean, to me, I think at the end of the day. It's, we kind of seen it with the steroids too. Where I think people, and I think baseball is such a mental sport. And, you know, you're literally trying to gain every inch of an advantage. And the idea that someone has any kind of inch over you is just repugnant. I think it's the nature of the sport. Like, right. and it's, again, it's weird because there are certain cheating things that are allowed. Like, that's why, or like, or like, not like, oh, like, like, you know, somebody was like, oh, they should be, you know, beaten. Somebody said that today. They should be beaten <laughs> all year. Parkeus. Yeah, Nick Parkakis was, Parkeus. yeah, he was bugging. Yeah, I mean, he was, he was, he went way too far, but. It, it was yeah, saying, people just saying crazy stuff, and I'm just like. <laughs> I think those guys should get a beating. I'm like, <laughs> So, like, so, like, there's some stuff that's been a little over the top, but I think it's the nature of the beast. I think baseball is such a purest sport. And the idea that somebody could be using technology to help them at the plate, I think it's so repugnant to people that they just don't know how to even, My, they, they can't even equate it. Like, I think to them, I certain some people, I've seen some people say, how are these guys talking about how, oh, steroids wasn't that big a deal? The same guys saying that the Astros should be beaten. And I just think that, 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 I think these guys respect these guys less. I think they feel like there's a certain skill level that you still need, even if you do have something helping you with your endurance and stuff. But when it comes right. to like actually knowing what's going to happen in the game to help you, I think the guy just feel like no, there's I have no respect for anybody who does that, and that's why they come out so hard. I also think part of it too is they understand that the Astros are still a really good team, and if you're gonna so some, some so, mind stuff, no. yeah, so piling on to keeping the elephant when it's down, yeah, yeah, piling on to them while while, while they're they're in their sad days is going to be helpful. You know, these are teams at the end of the day that want to win a World Series. That want to win a pennant, and if you're the Yankees, you're Cody Bellinger. There's a very chance, good chance you may see the Astros in the World Series. If you're definitely if you're the Yankees, you're a Judge and you're standing, there's an excellent chance you're going to see the Astros in the postseason. So why wouldn't you hammer them? Why wouldn't you make their life a living hell with your comments and your quotes? It doesn't affect your locker room. It's like it's just free. Sometimes a lot of times that stuff like that, like you worry about, oh, building more material, you know, oh, saying that can get you out of your own game. So there's a lot of mind games into why. You know, players don't go that down that road. But I think here it's just like, yo, man, everybody hates these guys. Everyone hates yeah, these guys man. cheaters. It's just, it's just free free shots. Yeah, yeah. See, for me, my my theory is that what the Astros did was so impactful, and it it, it changed the narrative on so on every player in the league. Like the results were so affected that. I mean, we heard this week, you know, I don't remember who it was. I think maybe it was Bellinger said, you know, like Aaron Judge would have an MVP. You know, he stole that MVP. You know, Altuve stole that MVP from Judge. Like, that's just one example of, like, imagine if the Astros weren't doing this and you take, you know, I don't know, 10, you know, 10 average points away from, you know, Altuve. I don't know what the number would be. But, like, and he doesn't win it and Judge wins it. Imagine what Judge is. And Judge is already a huge name, but, like, that's endorsement money. That's money out of his pocket. That's money out of his pocket. A lot of money out of his pocket. And that's every player. I mean, we. I mean, 
there have been countless number of like pitchers that we've talked about. And we, when it first came out, we talked about Clayton Kershaw and how you know Clayton Kershaw's his the stigma that he's a he's a World Series choker <laughs> and things of that nature. You know, he's a postseason choker, and you know he he pitched awful against the Astros in Houston. Why was that? Was it because he can't pitch well in the postseason? Probably. <laughs> no, I'm joking. But you know, there's also there's, there's a huge aspect of look, the Astros uh, were cheating. And now that messes with Clayton Kershaw's psyche. <laughs> you talk about it being a mental sport. You know, think about you, Darvish. He was awful in the World Series against yes, the Yes, he was. Like, you know, and I believe he was going to be a free agent. <laughs> he probably cost him, probably cost himself, you know, tens of millions of dollars looking terrible in the World Series. But why do you look terrible? <laughs> because the Astros were, were teeing him up. <laughs> so, like... That kind of thing is, I think, what guys look at and say, that's just disgusting. That these guys were stealing money from arguably from basically every team in the league that yeah. they played against at home. Yeah, Aaron Judge mentioned how, like, you know, he feels bad for pitchers who had a rough day, you know, in Houston, and maybe they didn't get they got sent back to the minors. Yeah, guys they got who, sent down. Guys who didn't get called back up because, you know, they, they had a rough day against, you know, Altuve and Bergman. And you know, like those guys are tough, man. Like that lineup is tough, especially as you know, especially when you go to Houston. And how many guys had their numbers messed up, their livelihoods messed up, it's, potentially it's, because of what happened? It's, it's a sports. It's, it's a sports. Uh, I want to say tragedy, but it's just it's so it's it's so evil with the Astros. Did and again, it wasn't. It wasn't against any certain player. It wasn't because they wanted to cheat the rest of the team. They wanted to win. They wanted a competitive advantage. But the advantage was so obvious that, like, I, like it's hard to really equate what the Astros did to anything else in sports. Like, it's hard to find an analogy. The only like, analogy he, I could think of is, like, if, for some, if somehow, like, the other, if in football, like, the defensive coordinator could listen into like the the, the offensive coordinator's play calls. Yeah, and like, I guess like they yeah they knew every every uh, <laughs> every play call. Or if you knew for you know? like if you knew somehow something in the terminology you knew is either going to be a run or a pass like something like that like yeah that right. would be a massive <laughs> advantage to the team. And that's and essentially even, what it's was even happening. worse because it's almost it's also like not only do you know that but you know where it's going to go. Like you hear them yeah. saying like yeah we're going to. You know, you hear Brady saying, "Yeah, we're going to Edelman here," and like then the defense right, exactly. coordinator can relate, relate yeah. to defense. Yeah, yeah you, got Richard, you got Richard Sherman, you know, waiting in the cut, you know, because you know Atuve and Bregman are nice. Yeah. So if he's got that information, he's jumping that route. And then we look back and we're like, "Yo, Brady had four picks against him. What happened?" And it's like, "Well, yeah, they knew exactly we were throwing on every play. So yeah, he's going to throw a lot of picks, you know, like because, and that's the part of it because the steroids." Yes, were bad, but they were more. They were so personally like a lot of guys were using steroids, and like yeah, it, it improved your your personal stats, but like it was so individual. So like not everybody on the team was using steroids. So if you looked bad against Barry Bonds, everyone looked bad against Barry Bonds, and home or the road. Yeah, whether and you use steroids right, or not. <laughs> yeah, and it's all right because you could pitch around them, pitch to JD Snow. You know, pitch to Jeff Kent, like, and those guys may be using something as well, but, like, you can pitch to the other guys on the team. You know, like, with this, 
the whole you team. You picked out Bregman, yeah. you know, Correa, all these guys that are cheating. And, you know, you, and then these guys, like I said, you, Darvish, you look terrible. You get shelled. You can't avoid it. And now you're you're completely affecting that guy's bottom line. You're completely affecting that guy's brand, his image, his psyche, so many different layers that it's that's where it becomes so systemic and so so negative. And I think that's why the players have felt that have all collectively bashed this team. That's why on some level, I think Manfred and we'll talk about Manfred a little bit, but I think Manfred may have miscalculated the the players association. Oh, he did. He did. Because oh. all if all these players are so anti Astros right now, do we really think that they would have fought tooth and nail to have these guys not suspended? That's a conversation we have to have. I have this conversation I want to have, but the other thing quickly before we get into that conversation is I think the other aspect of this that makes the players so easy to pile on, and really the fans and the media so easy to pile on this team, is that just complete and utter clown show that was the Astros' first day at spring training last week. <laughs> that press conference with Jim, Jim Crane, who he, he sounded senile. He was saying things, then contradicting himself two minutes later. He he, he tried to say that the, the sign-stealing scheme had no impact on the game. And then when he was asked about it, he said, I never said that it had no impact on the game. <laughs> like, just <laughs> unbelievable. He threw up Altuve and Bregman to do a 30... 30-second speech or 30-second statement and take no questions, then took them off the podium and sent them away. Uh, you got Correa talking about bad tattoos from from Jose Al- from Altuve, and that's why he didn't want to turn, take his shirt off. And and I think just the arrogance from some of these guys. I mean, Correa has just been – I don't know who's the worst. It's like, you know, they're like the Legion of Doom. It's like, I, like every single one of them, they all got something about them that's ridiculous. You know, Altuve, you know, with his – you know, I don't know, man. I just want to play baseball. And Bregman with his, uh, you know, the MLB came out with their report. And then Correa, who's just, he was mad defiant. Like, yo, man, we ain't do, we ain't do nothing that bad. Or whatever. like, it's like all of them don't know how to handle. If you this. didn't know what happened, don't speak on it. Yeah, just saying, like, and like with the with the brashness about it, I'm like, fam, you guys are gonna go down in history as the worst cheaters since the Black Sox. Yeah, like it's just it's. As a team, you know, some people are baseball players. That's worse than every individual guy that's ever tested positive for steroids. Exactly. You guys, as a team, are looked at as cheaters. And you had the nerve to be cursing and telling people what they say say and can't say about your team? Clown show. Like, I, I, and to me, Jim Crane, I think he showed me a little bit. I think that organization showed me a lot about how they handled that female reporter during that uh, during that situation during the World Series. Yeah, yeah. And I think that that should have been our first sign that this organization was trash. And this organization that was, you know, was paper thin. And anytime they saw any real adversity, they would fold up like a cheap tent. Because they handled that as bad as as, as anyone could possibly handle to the point where they had to get rid of people. Remember, this, 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 this shouldn't be surprising at this point. Wasn't Jim Crane the owner and the Astros were the organization that were, uh, Intentionally, uh, like intentionally bottoming out, bottoming out their their payroll so they can make money. I feel like it was, it was either them or the A's. It was probably both of them. I think but, it was. Yeah, I think it was them. You know, like they and they were and they were the worst team in the league. They ended up, you know, of course they they they, you know, got all those top draft picks and 
you know, brought in some of these guys, and now they're 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 you know, I don't say a dynasty, but they're an elite team. Um, but yeah, you're not. This isn't a model franchise by any means, and you know, we like to place the blame on you know Brandon Taubman, who was the assistant GM who got fired during the playoffs during the postseason. We like to place the blame on you know uh, Left Flow uh, or Leg Low, whatever his name is, and Hinch. Um, AJ Hinch, the you know the president, Leg Low, and and AJ Hinch, the the manager, obviously, but. At the end of the day, it's this you know this starts from the top. And Jim Crane, we we absolved him initially. I mean, obviously he lost, he got fined, and they lost draft picks. But he didn't, he wasn't forced to sell the team, which is what they could have. They, they, that conversation could have came up as well. But the owners weren't going to do that because then they all would have been liable to that, and you know that would have been drastic. But but you do see now that this this kind of stinks from the top. Yeah, this is not. This is a. I don't like, you know, maybe from a baseball evaluation and baseball playing standpoint, it's a well-run organization. But when it comes from just dealing with any kind of crisis management, any kind of adversity, horrible organization, horrible, maybe the worst in baseball. I don't know. I don't think that, I mean, the Mets scare me and I I, I don't know how the Mets would handle something like this. I don't even think the Wilpons would look this crazy. Like they, like the Astros will look crazy for a week now. And they're part of the reason why this story won't go away. But the other part of the reason is Rob Manfred, who has looked, I think, uncharacteristically uncomfortable. And that's saying a lot because I don't think he's got it particularly less comfortable all the time. But this this <laughs> week, I mean, he just looks like he doesn't have a clue. And I hate to say it like that, because but I don't know how other way to describe it. And in, in the, in he's in the pressure. To, he's have... in the pressure cooker. He's calling the World Series championship a piece of metal. That was one of the biggest gaffes I've ever seen from a professional sports league commissioner, like major the, sports league commissioner, in a vacuum. Because I've been a sports Kendall in a vacuum. He's that's, not wrong. That's an outrageous. Well, no, no, in a vacuum, that's an outrageous statement. Still, in a vacuum. Right. Right. You're the head of the sport. You're, you're, your job. Well, I'm is- saying not necessarily you're the head of the sport. Just like if he's saying that if 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 Joe Schmo on the street is having a normal conversation, he's like, "Look, man, the World Series." It's a piece of metal. Like, fine. All right? You know, like... But my, in, my, in my opinion, but. I feel like... I see. What, I know where you're going. But my thing is... I'm t- I can't even give him that. Because you, you're the commissioner. You got to think... But I'm saying, right, okay... But let's just you take... But, but let's just say Manfred Kendall is a neutral commissioner. He could be Bud Seeley. He could be any of these other guys that have been commissioners without the history of time. Pete, calling the world champion... It does say none of this had... None of this happened. Let's say none of this has nothing to do with anything with the Astros. And for some reason, they call the World Series a piece of metal. Stupid statement. Terrible gaffe. Should never say it. But when you're the guy who baseball purists believe don't truly respect the sanctity of the game, and you're the guy that doesn't have the awareness to think that denigrating the championship trophy of your sport may not be the best move, that tells that looks like a guy to me that's wilting under pressure, because Manfred has to know what his reputation is amongst his hardcore of the hardcore fans of baseball. He has to know what his reputation is amongst these players. He has to. So to have to have that level of um of a of a laissez faire attitude about the most important thing in baseball, winning a World Series, and cheapening that. 
to call and get a piece of metal when that is your reputation as a guy who doesn't respect the lore and the history of the game. That's just a ter- it's a terrible look. And it looks to me like a guy who's overwhelmed. Ken, and then now he's trying to say, well, actually, this, you know, me not giving them suspensions has nothing to do with me. It's all about the, the, the union boss, Tony Clark. Kendall, I've seen enough. Rob Manfred will not be the baseball commissioner by the, by the start of next season. He's on borrowed borrow time. Wow. He's not going to survive this. He doesn't have the capability to survive this. Sometimes, Kendall, you can see the one thing I, you know, I have been super critical of Roger Goodell when this podcast we're doing was a radio show at Hunter College. So if you want to hear what I, I think of Roger Goodell, I'm more of a defender of Goodell. And that is true. But if you want to know how I feel about Roger Goodell, you could not only listen to this podcast, you can listen to my radio show from Hunter College in 2011, 2012 to know how I feel about Roger Goodell. At least how I felt about how he's done his job. But the one caveat to how I never, why I have called for his job, the one caveat to me feeling like he ever would lose his job is that he is a smooth customer. He knows how to take the pressure and answer and say things the right way. He knows how to take the heat. And that's why the owners love him. Because he'll stand in that pocket. He's like a quarterback who can stand in that pocket in the blitz and make the throw accurately every time. Manfred is, is, uh, he's a Blake Gabbert in the pocket. He's completely, (laughs) completely unreliable. He's Blake Gabbard. He's um, he, you know, he's a two hundred hitter at the plate who can't take a pitch inside. He, he's not the guy you need in this very, very tenuous situation. He ain't gonna survive. But my question to you is this: When you talk about that, what you're talking about, EJ, is a is a little term called crisis management. Yep. And those other commissioners, I won't need. I won't bring in Gary Bettman, but. We talk about Silver and Goodell. They have proven that they have had that they have an ability to manage crises, and I would argue that's the most important job of a league commissioner. Yeah. At the end of the day, because I think the sports kind of run themselves like just just don't screw things up and <laughs> have an ability to manage crisis. And and if you can do that, you'll you'll survive. You'll keep your job, and you'll 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 probably go down as a as a, as a positive, well liked commissioner. Maybe not. Maybe not. Because if you have enough crises like Goodell, even if you manage them, people are still going to look at you and say what's going on. But those guys have done that well. But when I look at Rob Manfred, you know, Silver, he 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 managed. I think the biggest one, and maybe the only one he's had to deal with, is the Donald Sterling situation, mm-hmm. which was a crisis. That was a huge crisis. Yeah. And it, for the most part, we we really don't know the full outcome of that yet, but for the most part, they may have gotten out of that unscathed. And I would also throw in the Mavericks with Mark Cuban. And, you know, that was that was a mini crisis. It wasn't, you know, it was what, bad. Though. What was Cuban again? Well, with the, you know, the Mavericks, you know, and their, their you know, uh, organizational oh, culture, the, the, moment, the, yeah, the sexual harassment, you know, yeah, the sexual harassment uh, cases and mm-hmm. things of that nature, right? And that that didn't go well. Obviously, that wasn't a good look for the league. wasn't a good look for Mark Cuban, the Mavericks, and but they 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 hammered him, um, depending on who you ask. But um, when I look at the when I look at Major League Baseball, 
a lot of the the I, I feel like they haven't had any crises since Rob Manfred's been been commissioner. They it's all been very seem to be quiet. they all very... seem to be created by Rob Manfred, <laughs> which, which is why I think he's going to yeah, survive this. Like it's but the, like the, the, the minor Astro, league baseball like the Astro situation is a I mean, it's it the Astro situation is the biggest crisis we've seen since the steroid era. I mean, for sure, C League didn't do a great job with that, but um, so you know that has to be said. But like, has there has he dealt with anything that's really given them any pushback? Any any like like no anything that's had to really really test his chops? No, which is why. To me, again, he has a glass jaw. The little things he's dealt with, he's had trouble dealing with. He can't deal with the minor league freaking baseball league. <laughs> he can't deal with Pete Rose. Like, there's certain little there's little things that aren't that big a deal that somehow, because of just how he... And, like, I've defended Rob Manfred also. That's important to note on the show, too. I'm not going to pretend like I've been, a guy, I've been a guy who's been killing him ever since he got a job. I think people have been too hard on him. But at a certain point, you just got to give it up, man. Like... He's only faced very, you're right, very few problematic scenarios. And it seems like his presence only seems to make things worse. I don't know if it's always been his fault. But at a certain point, when it always seems to become worse by stuff you say or the way you conduct yourself. And then I see now your first real crisis. And you're calling the World Championship trophy a piece of metal. It doesn't, insti- it doesn't inspire a lot of confidence. I don't know how it could. The, the fact that the players, the weird. fact that the players feel so empowered to curse on Twitter, talking about how you how terrible you know you don't know the game, and 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 just outright talk about how the commissioner was weak and not giving these guys suspensions and and punishing the players for this scheme. The players have that much disrespect and that much gall to speak out against commissioner like that. I mean, these got he's making all the players right now look like James Harrison. Talking about Roger Goodell. We all thought Jane Harrison was nuts. And that was one guy. <laughs> one guy talking that crazy about the commissioner. And we thought, oh man, yeah, Roger Goodell, man, does he really have does he really have, you know, the, the pulse of the players, man? Does does he really have control? We got this one guy saying this crazy stuff. We got stuff guys are talking about Roger Goodell. I mean, Manford like that, it seems like every other day now. How am I supposed yeah, to think that true, this can this can continue? It can't. I think it'll pass because at the end of the day, the the question is always about for the owners is can you make me money? He ain't and doing that. <laughs> but there, he ain't there doing that any, either. But there isn't any proof that like it's Rob, it's Rob Manfred's fault that you know like baseball like they're not gonna lose not gonna lose money. I don't think based off of this situation. Um, but Rob was brought in as a reformer though, and he and 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 if you're telling me he's a reformer, but you can't point to. Okay, we not might not be losing any worse than we have over the last few years, but we ain't really gaining. And then he's bringing me; he can't handle any crisis that comes his way. Then why the hell do I have him here? The reforms aren't making anybody happy. They ain't bringing us any money. And then when the the first sight of any kind of adversity, he's calling the trophy a piece of metal. Why do I need you? I can find some other guy who's not a reformer who won't piss anybody off, who will know how to talk about. These situate the this this the sanctity of the game in a way that's not disrespectful. I can find any guy that can do that. Why do I need him? I mean, I, I mean you don't need him, but 
and that's why I go back to the the job of a sports commissioner, elite elite commissioner. It's not professional sports commissioner. It's not. It's not. I would say it's not hard because I'm sure it's very hard. But it's not. It's fairly simple when you get past a lot of the negotiations, and that's the other thing: is negotiations for labor deals. But outside of that, like you just have to be able to manage these types of crises. And Manfred, this is kind of his first test. He's done an awful job. I would, I would uh, acknowledge that this is not an easy thing to navigate. No, you know there are a lot of layers to it, and, and you know again, I think the calculation that he made on giving the players immunity, I think, was a little premature. And I'll I tell think you they should have. Yeah. I don't know if I say you, you immediately hammer these guys and then you fight it, because that's not that's also not great for the game, but. I, you know, I, I I would say that the suspensions aren't are, are for the players are not out of the picture. You know, to get, grant these guys immunity now, I thought was premature. Yeah, I, I, I would have felt the temperature of the of of the players and how the players felt. And if he had not granted them immunity already, I think hearing the the the, the way the players have spoken, I think he would. Suspend these guys if he had not if he had the opportunity to. Now, yeah, and here's my here's the last thing on Manfred for me before we move on. And like I, I'm I'm all about being fair and all consistent about what I say on this show. I came out two three weeks ago whenever this this ruling came out and said I thought Manfred showed a lot of courage in the the, the penalty he gave to the Astros because I feel like another league may have tried to wipe this kind of thing under the rug. I truly believe that, and I still believe that. I think. Even despite all the things I said about how I don't know, Man- I don't know if Manfred will be will have a job in a year, and I'm not even calling for him to be removed. I'm talking about what I think will happen. I think the commit the owners will be like enough of this guy. We need to just get him out of here. But what I will say is this whole situation with the players go- coming out against him and against the penalties, he's been undone by that. Like that isn't his fault. I don't think I I, I got. Why he did what he did, I disagreed. I said on the show, I thought he showed great courage what he did, especially when you hit the owner in his pockets and not because the owner is the guy that's his boss. That was to me important, but at the same time, I felt like the players are the one who did it. That would have been the proper step to also punish them. I feel that way today. But the only, I think the reason why people are, are now kind of really lashing on to that is because the players have latched onto it and they've, and they've, they, he's instilled no confidence in them, so therefore they feel emboldened to speak out about it. And it's tough. Like he, he again, he looks to me, he looks weak, saying that well, the union boss wouldn't have let me do it. Like you're the commissioner, fam. Like you're supposed to be fighting that guy. The fact that you're telling me I'm going to fight for the sanctity of the game, you're just going to let the union boss say whatever the hell he wants. But he don't even got the support of his own people. Like that's yeah, that's like, not something you it's think. A, it's a poor, as you said, Kendall, you said it best. It's a poor calculation. It, it tells me, again, this is supposed to be a part of his job, calculating the union support and how much he'll have to fight the union boss in terms of these big scenarios when it comes to contract negotiations, suspensions, all these things. If you tell you me that you, you miscalculated this this poorly with the, the star players willing to speak out against other star players, Tony Clark had no leg to stand on. He completely bluffed them, and it worked. Yeah, Tony Clark would have been screwed. Because now, he, now then he's going to be in a position where it's like, man, do I back... These guys, the Astros, and send a message to the rest of the, the players that, like, 
yeah, I'll defend you, but like even if the even if you guys are 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 stabbing you in the back at the same time, yeah, or do I leave you guys out to dry, sending the message that I don't always have your back because it's not a majority. So it would have, I mean, it would have screwed over Tony Clark. I just think he thought from a PR standpoint, he didn't want to deal with any types of, he didn't want to deal with any more lawyers, any grievances or anything of that nature. And I mean, I guess I understand it, but I believe, I mean, Rob Manfred's a lawyer. You really tell me you don't want to deal with that stuff? I mean, Roger Goodell is not afraid to take Brady to court and vice versa. You know, thing, had, you know yeah. how many lawsuits the NFL has had? You know how many lawsuits the NFL has had under under Roger Goodell? How many times they've gone to court for different appeals and stuff? Yeah, <laughs> I mean, you're like but he's a, not afraid to go to court. That's what I'm trying to say, though. Like as much as you can dislike yeah, Roger, Roger is not a paper tiger. Roger's a real tiger. You might not like what he does. You might not like how he rules, but he's 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 a tough sob man. Like like he's not weak and Manford is not projecting a lot he he has never projected a lot of strength and he only projected strength when it was foolish when he was talking about the powerless minor leagues and he looked like a bully like I don't know I, I don't know I don't I like I know he's been around the league for a long time uh I have actually liked his open open-eyed look at the game and how to change it and how to fix it some of the changes they have made have been tremendous. The home run derby, I think, is even after what I saw from the All-Star break, still the best All-Star event in all of sports because of how they've changed it. Like, this guy is not a dumb man. He's not a guy who 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 isn't a reformer who has potentially good ideas. But he just he just has a perception problem. Well, part of his perception, but part of it is also reality. Like, again, he, he was faced with a real crisis where he was going to have to fight, and he didn't fight because um, he was afraid of it. And as you said, I we both get it. We both totally understand it. But in hindsight now, seeing how the players have interacted, like, I, don't, I didn't have the pulse of the players what he should have had. Like, seeing how the players reacted... And you, it's unimaginable to me how he didn't see that Clark didn't have the support if he was going to fight him on this. And he again, he got bluffed by a fairly new players union boss. Tony Clark hasn't been doing this for twenty years. Like they're both kind of new at this. And checkmate to Tony because because I think that now if he tries to retroactively do it, it's too little, too late. I don't think that he can. I don't think he can do it. I think he's going to have to just let these guys play. And whatever happens, happens. Yeah, not legally. That's, that's, that's a tough leg to stand on. Um, speaking of the All-Star game, though, let's move to the NBA. Because the All-Star break is all but done as the games resume this week. But looking back at Sunday's All-Star game, the NBA has to feel good about the changes it implemented during the game. The new rules, which included an untimed fourth quarter that was uh, the first to score 24 points, you know, plus the, the leading score after the third quarter, led to the most spirited play at the All-Star game in many years. It does have some needed tweaks, like uh, the game ending on a free throw was very lame. But nonetheless, it was really exciting. So, Kendall, do you think the league has turned the corner when it comes to um, its ultimate celebration of the stars? Um, turn the corner? I, look, I would say we were talking about the All-Star game. I mean, yeah, that was the best All-Star game we've had in a long time, especially the fourth quarter. Um, 
I mean, I'll be honest, that was one of the best fourth quarters of basketball I've seen in a long time, just in general. And it wasn't yeah. even a, a deal of like, you know, it was it was a lot of scoring or anything. Or it was very, it wasn't pretty, but it was entertaining and fun. We talking about, I mean, that that was NBA Finals level stuff. We talk about that many great players on the court at once, all playing that hard. I mean, you don't get that. In the regular season, you don't get that from an NBA Finals game. I mean, maybe in 2019, maybe you do because you get, like, as EJ likes to call it, you get the Star Wars. We have, like, the Warriors with four All-Stars and, you know, the Cavs with two or three or <laughs> this, that, and the other thing. But, like, um, for the most part, these teams are now, you know, you're even if you're watching the Lakers versus the, the Sixers, you're getting, what, four All-Stars? You know, five or six brand-name players, six, seven brand-name players. Like, every player on the court at the end of this game was were superstars for the most part uh, outside of Kyle Lowry and Chris Paul and shout out to Chris Paul by the way he looked excellent um, yeah he did you have to wonder OKC you know they're kind of watching this or not OKC Houston rather they're watching this they're like man we gave, we gave up first round picks to trade Westbrook for Chris Paul and Westbrook's playing and at the end of this and I mean uh, Chris Paul's playing at the end of this and Westbrook isn't um, some of that is Chris Paul is LeBron's friend but he was playing great. Um, As he's played all year. <laughs> he's looked. Yeah, exactly. You know, he's, he's played that all year. But, uh, but yeah, no, nah, I, I would say the deal, I would say, that, yeah, I think the All-Star game is fixed. I think this is what they should do for the All-Star game. Um, this Elam ending that they implemented in the basketball tournament, TBT. Uh, it, it, it's, it's a concept of basketball um, that I think is interesting. Because it really obviously takes you back to that pickup style of play. Every point, every possession really matters. You can't run the clock. You can't uh, chew the clock. It's pure. It's pure bas- it's basketball in its purest form. <laughs> and there's very there's much less strategy in terms of time and possession. It's now just score or you don't. And you have to score to win. And defense really matters. Um, so, it, look, I, I give all credit to Adam Silver, Chris Paul, who's a big proponent of this as well, uh, for pushing for this. Because And, look, I mentioned this last week or two weeks ago when we talked about this change. I mentioned it had to – the only way this was going to work is if it was a close game. And it was a close game. <laughs> and because of that, it worked. And I still worry that, like, if that game was a 20-point game, it was nine points. It was a nine-point deficit, and LeBron, Team LeBron came back and won. I would say that that's, that was close enough, especially in an All-Star game. But if, if Team Giannis was up 25 at that point, that fourth quarter is not nearly as entertaining. Um, I do feel like... Uh, when you talk about this ending, the question, though, becomes, do you feel like the NBA will implement it in other ways? But I'll let you go. I'll let you go on what you think about these, this All-Star game, uh, but also what do you feel about the NBA implementing it in other facets? Um, the All-Star game was, was great. Uh, it was truly what we've been asking for. It was just, you know, competition. Just guys just getting after it. And... 
I've been a defender for the All-Star Game for a long time, but I think it was either last year or the, or the year before, I don't remember, but I think I came on the show and said, I can no longer defend this crap. Um, it was it was just not basketball. It was the it was the NBA version of the Pro Bowl. And it was crazy because, you know, a lot of people would complain that the All-Star Game had always been that way, and I'd say, no, the All-Star Game is fun, and if you get to the fourth quarter and it's a close game, it's the best basketball game in the world. And I was actually reminiscing, I was watching the 2001 All-Star Game, which is my favorite All-Star Game of all time, when Allen Iverson and Stephon Marbury led the Eastern Conference to an uh, improbable um, victory over a stacked Western Conference that had a starting lineup that included, I believe, uh, Steve Francis, Kobe, KG, Tim Duncan, and Shaq. So, uh, just nuts, <laughs> the kind of talent that was out there at the time. So, I, I actually, I think Shaq was hurt that year, so I think it might have been Chris Webber in the starting lineup. Still. Incredible <laughs> starting line, and the whole roster was stacked. But I, I, I do feel like this was uh, definitely felt. I got those vibes after watching that game, then seeing this game and how it was played. You know, Kyle Lowry's taking charges and flopping around like it's you know the actual NBA playoffs. It was it was fun, and and I got to give the NBA a lot of credit because I did not think this was going to work. I, I thought that this, uh, and we can't just also put it on just the the plus twenty four in the fourth quarter. I also think. The court, how they did the quarters, actually also led to more competitive basketball. Oh, that was that was brilliant. Yeah, that was every, smart too. Because every because you kind of didn't, you weren't as concerned. Like the total score did matter, but sometimes in some ways you weren't as concerned with the total score at certain points. Particularly when you have you know the kids that will be you know getting receiving these do, donations sitting in the one hundred section, yeah, cheering like crazy. You know, it's was, hard. They, that, that, was, that was devil, that was devilishly uh, brilliant. To... Yeah, it's, it's hard for James Star- James Harden to be you know a human term style when you know you got kids crying. You no, know, come on, James, I need this hundred thousand for for my for my boys and girls club. <laughs> yeah, like, are you really gonna you just idea. dog it? Like, you're not going to. Yeah, you had to compete. Um, <laughs> it was hilarious that to see these guys play so hard for. I don't want to say no reason because like you said they're playing for a cause, but like. For them personally, like they they didn't have to play that hard, but again, you tell you mentioned like it's not just not it's just not a good look, and there was not one player in that All Star game. There were guys that were bashed, you know, Kyle Lowry was bashed a little bit, Kemba certainly bashed in that fourth quarter, but um, there was nobody that was that that was uh, that was bashed for not giving an effort. Every single All Star that played in that game gave an effort, and when you have it based off of the quarters. It also was hard for it to be a blowout because each team like was so focused on winning each quarter that it couldn't really get away from you even the score. Yeah. yeah. So like if you know Team LeBron came out and won the first quarter, then Team Miles was like, all right, we gotta win this one, and they came out with a lot of energy. Then Team LeBron came out, all right, we gotta come back, and it being a tie in the third quarter because you 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 want to be the team that has the most that wins the most amount for the charity and. And yeah, I mean they 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 did a a brilliant job of crafting this whole thing to make sure it was gonna it's gonna be close. The only question I have to you beyond the 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 ending, uh, so to speak. Also, do you worry that the game got too competitive? Because no. we are talking, this is still an all star game, and all we need is one guy to to sprain their ankle or God forbid something worse happens for us to then ask that question. I don't think it's, so, Kendall, because I feel like we've we've had all star games for more than 50 years i think at this point and besides you know kobe getting a broken nose from Dwayne wade 
I don't remember there being issues with serious injuries. I know that it it feels like we're having more serious injuries because these guys are bigger, stronger, faster. So that may be more of a risk. But I don't think it's that I still don't I mean they played hard in that fourth quarter for sure. It was great to see. But I, I still don't think that like you're as at much of a risk as when you're playing in the playoffs to get injured as you are playing in the fourth quarter of the All Star game. I think it's basketball. I think that guys should just just play the game. You know what I'm saying? Like don't do anything stupid or reckless. Uh and I thought that's what I thought they did. You know, I think besides again, besides maybe those Lowry charges, I don't think there were a lot of moments where I was like, ooh, this guy might hurt doing this. Like I think they were just they were playing ball and that's how it should be. You know, we don't want to see anybody get hurt. But as a Celtics fan, I was watching Kemba like, man, don't do anything stupid. <laughs> and, I, and, I think these, and I think these, and roll, pull up. I think no, these guys don't, from, don't attack the basket. I think these guys, for the most part, were yeah. fairly smart with it. I think they played hard, but they, I don't think they, I didn't think they took unnecessary risks uh, in certain cases. Again, Lowry's only ones like those charges. I'm like, I don't know if we need to see that, but. But uh, but it was refreshing, man. I we had we we can't go back to what we had. We can't like to me if you're gonna they're gonna do that, then they gotta just throw out the All Star game, try something else, do a three on three, do something different. Like we we could not have the last two or three years, the All Star game has been unwatchable, and the NBA couldn't afford to have that happen again. So I was glad they did this. This was great. I think that these are rules they definitely should continue to implement. Yeah. Um, I think the free throw you can't have the end game end on a free throw. I think that you, the only way you should get fouled is if you're getting fouled shooting a shot. Um, and even that, I think there may be something where, like, maybe you make a free throw, but then you still got to score to win or something like that. There's, there's just that, that was the only thing that was like, man, this was uh, a little rough. I also, part of me kind of wonders if the quarter thing was so good, I almost wonder if they should even worry about a total score. Like, if they should somehow make the game more about the individual quarters. The only problem is obviously you only have you have four. So how do you, you know, you can't have who wins, who wins the most quarters win. You have to do either five or three. If there was a way I could somehow make the game more, if I could pick up game, I would do it. So yeah. that and was, this is kind of what I this is kind of what I envisioned with when I mentioned they should do a three on three tournament. They kind of got the same type of energy that I, was, I would have hoped for. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I the one thing I wanna I wonder though is look we're gonna get. You know, these in-season tournaments and potentially and, you know, whether we get play-in tournaments, playoff tournaments, you know, you know, wild card tournaments for the playoffs, like, you know, lottery tournaments, potentially all these things have been thrown out there. Those would be I think those types of things would be perfect if you want to implement this in regular basketball and see what it looks like, you know, because I, I, I saw somebody bring up. This is probably closer. I don't say this, this is what James Naismith envisioned, but like I said, this is probably basketball at its purest form, and it was the mo- it was a more entertaining brand of basketball. And someone put it this way: if James Naismith, at when he created basketball, made this the the style of play, and then we decided in 2020 this style of play where you know the fourth quarter it is. You know, you have to score to win and, you know, there is no you have to reach a certain score and there is no, you know, fouling and you know running down the clock and stuff of that nature. And we switch to the way it is now where, you know, you got to you got to foul and play clock and two clock and, you know, a lot of crazy shots and no defense. People will be like, why would we why are we going to this? 
this is hurting the game. <laughs> hurting the game. Now we're in a worse, worse brand of basketball. It's not as fun to watch. It's, it's easier. Like so, in that, in that, in that regard, like I do see the the argument that look, this may be a more entertaining way to play. But <laughs> obviously, you don't want to do anything too drastic right now. But uh, it is something to monitor. And I wouldn't be surprised if we see the NBA implemented uh in some interesting ways maybe even in the summer league on some level but g league they're, they're, i wouldn't be surprised to see this more than outside even outside of the all-star game and speaking of reformers i feel like adam silver certainly has a reputation as being a reformer type commissioner and i think that with the with the excitement that they garnered for the all-star game in a format that a lot of people had a lot of skepticism about they're absolutely going to try to they feel like they have a lot of capital to try a lot of different things now. So I think all those things that maybe were kind of on the fence, so they were kind of slow walking in terms of tournaments, things like that. I think they're going to go full tilt now. I don't think they're going to care. I think they feel like I think they're confident. Yeah, yeah. I think they're going to feel like people are going to have more confidence in us. And even if they don't like some of the things we initially implement, like in terms of like the the reaction to it, like we the last thing they didn't like, and they ended up loving it. So I think they're going to have a lot more confidence moving forward. What did you do? You have any takeaways from the actual game? It sounds crazy because we never have any legitimate basketball takeaways from an all star game, but this was more like real basketball than we've ever seen. Was there anything that you took away? Obviously, Team Giannis was great until we got to the fourth quarter, and then you actually needed an actual closer. And Giannis is uh, his drafting of all underdog type all stars. Uh, bit him in the behind <laughs> in the fourth quarter because yeah. he, they didn't have a closer. You know, Joel Embiid was the closer, which he, he was more of a closer for Team Giannis than he's ever been for the Sixers. <laughs> um, um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't know. I tried not to take away too much from the All-Star game. Uh, what I will say is, you know, I mean, Kawhi Leonard is, is he was the MVP of the game, and uh, him and LeBron, those two guys together with AD as we see... <laughs> That would have been a problem for the NBA. Would have been that. That would have happened in the fall season. That would have been a serious, serious issue. I don't know how the league would have covered those guys. I know the Lakers roster roster would look a lot different, but that that would have been tough. And um, seeing those guys play together, it was fun to see it in an All Star game. I'm glad we do not have to see that. You know, 82 games. We would never see 82 games. We quite would never play 82 games. But uh, <laughs> not having to see it for the majority of a season. I'm happy we see that because I don't I don't know how you would stop those three men. Um, but as you said, you know Chris Paul looked unbelievable, like just completely unbelievable. The other takeaway I would say too is I think that the young guys, um, I think they kind of the spotlight was a lot for them. I thought Doncic and Young didn't know where they fit in that game to the point where neither of the guys were really playing when it mattered, and they shouldn't nope. have been playing. It, it told me it told me a lot. Not to say that those guys aren't great young players. But it did. It did tell me a little bit. Like, okay, they're still. They, I mean, young. You know, he's still like a baby. But, but Doncic is such an unbelievable player already. I think seeing yeah. that it was clear he shouldn't have been out there late in the game with the way the game was. Not to be fair, you know, his team was stacked, so they could afford not to have him out there. If he was on Giannis' team, he would have been out there. But even seeing yeah, how that game was, and seeing how like yeah, the way the speed, this intensity right now, he ain't ready for this. This isn't something he should be out there. <laughs> He's not going to provide anything. That was telling. I was like, man, he's good, but to get to that level, it's going to take another level of development. But he's only in year two, so it's not like it's alarming or anything, but it just was interesting to see. Let's talk about football, Kendall. Um, 
I tell you what, there's a new proposal out for the new CBA, and the NFL has confidence that it will be agreed upon very soon, possibly within the week. And in that CBA, not only does it include a 17-game playoff, which you know Adam Schefter for ESPN prop, you know, prefaced by saying that this is the probably the biggest hang-up in the deal and has not been agreed to by the players yet, but there are other incentives that they feel like will get them to the finish line. Uh, but the other thing, beyond the 17-game seventeen-game regular season, which is already kind of controversial, is an expansion of the postseason. It would include seven teams in each conference, so 14 teams overall, 14 either 32, would now make the playoffs as opposed to now we only have 12. And only the, the uh, top number one seed would get a bye. Everyone else would have to play in wild card games. I don't even know if you'd call it wild card weekend. To me, you have to change the name, if, in my opinion. But that's not the most important thing right now. I don't like this idea. I don't. I don't like it. It's not. I think that the NFL playoffs are one of the few things in sports that I think are kind of perfect. Like I've never once thought, what? How can we make this any more interesting or any more dynamic? I think they had the right amount of teams. I think they had the right amount of uh, um, teams that have buys. I think that the, just the way it's, it's structured, the Saturday, Sunday, I have zero issues with the NFL playoffs. It's not, I wouldn't say it's my favorite playoff, but I just think that it's it's totally fine. To me, as we've seen this year with you know the terrible season the Cowboys had and them fighting to the end to try to get into the playoffs, you're just going to have years where you have seven teams in the playoffs. You're going to have years when it's going to be an 8-8 eight and eight or 7-9 and nine team. And the notion that we're going to have to see those clowns yeah. play in a playoff game, I, I don't know. The NFL, sometimes, it gets in its own this way season, to me. EJ? Yeah, go ahead. This season would have been the Rams and the Steelers. Those teams had no I business need, playing I in the postseason. Need, yeah, we, them them yeah, teams needed to stay need, home. Need, they underachieved. You didn't deserve a playoff spot. No one wanted to see. I see Duck Hodges trending. That's why he's trending right now on Twitter. Nobody wanted to see Duck Hodges playing no postseason game. Come on. Like, football has made a decision in its development, the NFL, that it, it, it prefers hyper-parity. It has its pluses and its minuses. The pluses are anybody can win, and therefore more markets are engaged. And that has proved to be very, very lucrative. I'm not going to be one to criticize that element of money-making when it comes to hyper-parity. But when it comes to the actual quality of the games, I would argue that, especially in recent years, the quality has suffered partially because of the hyper-parity, where there now aren't any great teams because you've set up the rules in a situation where nobody can sustain success except for the Patriots. So I think that it's a double-edged sword, and this is the part where hyper-parity would absolutely hurt the NFL because... The idea that, again, an 8-8 team or a 7-9 team not only would make the playoffs, but, again, the league is so wide open. If they damn near won a game or two, like now you're talking about we're, talking, we're seeing, you know, some really average teams maybe making runs. This year, the Titans, they they were a great story. I enjoyed watching them. I was hoping they'd get to the Super Bowl. I just enjoyed their style of play. But no one could told me that the Tennessee Titans would have been good for the NFL, them getting to the Super Bowl. And the fact that they were able to to dominate the, the league MVP and his team that went 13 and three and dominate, you know, a, a six time Super Bowl champion and Tom Brady. 
that, I don't know, that tells me a lot. And adding seven teams in a league that already has a problem with hyperparity seems like a bad idea. Um, yeah, yeah, I think I think you you hit the nail on the head. Uh, it, this just seems odd. It just seems like it just seems like a, a, an obvious money grab, an obvious oh, let's get an extra playoff game and you know all the more money and the players will love it. And I mean they also want a seventeenth game, which I don't really even need that. I feel like we got too many weeks in the NFL season to begin with. Sometimes, yeah, you know, by the time I get to week fourteen, I'm like, oh man. If they get that 17th on. game, they're gonna have to add another bye week, and that's just gonna extend the season. We're gonna be playing Super Bowl games on on Valentine's Day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nobody wants to see that. Um, I yeah, I and you know, I, I'm sure that some of the players are happy about this because look, more teams get will get playoff checks, and those playoff checks are real. And now they're saying that the the team that gets to buy will get a playoff check, which they haven't had in the past, which is a weird thing, but. Uh, kind of doesn't really make sense, but now now they're they're rectifying that. Yeah, that's so free. That's free. They're trying money, to give though. the players eleven free money. Yeah, it's free team. money. They're trying yeah. to give players all these concessions yeah. so they can get that seventeenth game. Like it's just uh, I don't know. This is reeks of, of 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 money grab, unnecessary money grab that nobody's really gonna like. We'll probably move on from it. We'll probably once it becomes you know official and once it becomes normal, we'll. we'll We'll forget about it, but it just seemed unnecessary. I mean, I don't need to see an extra team in the postseason. Uh, I mean, as a Vikings fan, and you know, we need any help we can get getting into the playoffs. It seems like, uh, but I mean, just as a, as a football fan, like you mentioned, I, I just it's just not it's not something I've ever asked for. I've never said, oh, you know, we need we need to expand the postseason. Exactly. I don't think really any playoffs really need any postseason. In, in professional sports need to expand. The only playoff that needs to expand is college football. Right. Because exactly. that does not give opportunity to uh most programs around the country. Uh especially certain ones that are, you know, less lucrative. But um the NFL, like nobody needs to see expansion. The NBA, nobody needs no one needs to no one needs to see playoff expansion. Like the good teams in the NFL are the ones that make the postseason. Yeah. And yeah. I kinda like that. Like I like the idea that when, very... when you're watching the NFL playoffs, like you're seeing good football. Again, I would argue it's starting to get scary with the hyper parity. But like, yeah, good football. You have to be a good team to make the playoffs. You can't be mediocre. You yeah. can't be average. You have to be doing something right. Like to me, in some and years that aren't. Some years, years you open ten games, you don't get in. Like I like that aspect yeah, of it. And the teams, and the teams that aren't good and they, that make the playoffs get exposed. Yes, I know that. Again, as a Vikings fan. I, there have been years where we make the playoffs. I'm like, man, we, once we run into a good team, we're going to get destroyed. Right. I mean, it kind of happened this year. As a Jeff fan, I know that feeling. Yeah, exactly. Like, you know, you sneak into the playoffs where you're like, man, <laughs> we're not facing those those six and we're not facing those six and eight teams anymore. We're not facing those teams that were, you know, three and seven, you know, in the middle of the season. Um, yeah, no, nah, I, I think this is uh, – this isn't really that positive. I don't think it'll make a huge difference. So that's why it's not like the the end of the world. But you know, I'm never. It, it's just it, it just get, it gets them more money on their TV deal because extra playoff game. It gets them. I don't know. It's just uh, sad I'm thing about this, Kendall. As we know, man, money talks. At the end of the day, in this deal, um, the players will get more more revenue, and it only comes out to uh, a percent increase 
it then becomes a, a, a 1.5% increase once the games would shift to 17, which is, would happen, I think, yeah, I saw, like, you know, three years down the road or a couple years down the road. I'm not sure how, I forgot how exactly when yeah, that would start. Years, at least yeah, at least two years. Um, and that may sound like a small percentage, but when we're talking about such a big pie, that turns out to $5 billion. And $5 billion amongst a couple of hundreds of players is a lot of money. <laughs> so, so uh, I think the NFL understands that they... they it might they, be more they, than a couple hundreds. It might be thousands, right? Yeah, yeah, probably thousands. Yeah, and maybe, maybe and the NBA had yeah, about four hundred. Yeah, probably, probably a couple thousand, probably two, three thousand, I would say. Um, so NFL, but NFL yeah. knows that money talks, and that's that's still a lot of money to split up amongst everybody. So that that's what they're going to do. And the one last thing I want to say on this is, this to me, the NFL, as you said, is very opportunistic. They see a money grab here, but they also see, uh, they're 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 to me like a uh, shout out to Edge, the WWE wrestler, um, who just came back from injury. If you're a wrestling fan. They called him the ultimate opportunist when he was a wrestler. And to me, this is also the NFL. They're also the ultimate opportunist because they know that we've moved on from player safety. Because otherwise, they would never try this. <laughs> like, it's crazy how, yeah. like, and it's crazy because you're like, well, how do we move off of player safety? Honestly, I think a lot of that had to do with Kaepernick. I'm going to be straight. Like, in terms of, like, the issues we now have with the league, if there's anything you're going to point to, it's going to be that. And I also feel like there's definitely a segment of the fans who feel like they've gone too far with player safety that has affected the game in a negative way. So yeah, that's why the XFL is capitalized off that. Exactly. So the idea that you know five years ago we were really concerned about player safety and we heard the horror stories about people who, who how they dealt with you know life after playing long careers in the NFL and how much their lives were affected in a negative way because of it. We've just moved on as a society, and they know it. So now they're like, this is the time to strike when the iron's hot. They don't care about player safety. Let's give the players a couple of billions of dollars, and let's get this uh, 17th game so we can get more revenue for us. It can't say it's not good business. I, I'm not saying it's uh, high morality when it comes to their business practices, but it's good business because this is going to slide right through. I don't think you're going to see anybody really banging the drum about player safety all that much. I think the players are going to cave because they're going to see that $5 billion and be like, what are we supposed to do? Not you're going to turn that down. So this is why this is going to happen. But, you know, shout out to the NFL. You know, I know a good business model when I see one. That was shrewd business making by their, on their part. Let's do flames and trash real quick. And I'll start first. I'm doing the Baylor Bears. Uh, second week in a row where I'm doing college basketball. I know I talked about um, uh who did I talk about last week? Oh, San Diego State. Or it wasn't last week, but a couple weeks ago. I talked about San Diego State. I'm doing Barrel this week. They set a record for the most. Uh, Didn't you cons- do Rutgers also? I've done Rutgers like, as well. I feel like this year has been a weird basketball season. Paul? Yeah. <laughs> like, this has become way, my college basketball did, segment. Since you become the, since you did DePaul, they were now one in eleven in the Big East. So yeah, man. You must yeah. have uh, you, you must have jinxed it. Oh man, I'm glad I said it when I said it, man. Because you know, if I would have waited a, ne- a couple weeks after the losing streak started, it would look kind of crazy. Yeah. But um, yeah, they they have not had a great season after I spoke about them. I'm hoping not to really, you know, uh, jinx Baylor though. I don't want them to have it causing issues for my Zag. But I gotta give them a shout out, man. The number one in the country. They just set a record for the most consecutive Big 12 wins, which I know this is a down year for the Big 12, but that's still impressive. You rack off 23 straight for a team that people thought was good, but nobody thought was going to be this dominant. 
hats off to him. I watched some of that game against Oklahoma. Oklahoma's a team that has some firepower offensively. And you watch that game, and you just knew they had no chance to score against this team. Baylor is athletic. They play hard. They play together. And they got a big shot maker in uh, in Butler. They're, they're, they're a really good team. They're not great. They don't overwhelm you with talent. But when a team, and it's crazy to say this about a Scott Drew team, but when a team is so well coached and so together in what they're trying to accomplish every time down the floor, whether it be offensively or defensively, and they have talent, they're not like they're, they're an untalented team. They're just not a team with a bunch of NBA studs. That That's extremely dangerous in college basketball. And that's what we've seen with Baylor. Shout-outs to Scott Drew. He's done a tremendous job. Shout-outs to Jared Butler. He's been one of the best guards in the country. And they just they, they, they just... They don't win. They're not the sexiest team. They don't win pretty. But every time they step on the floor, at the end of the time, the time expires, they have more points than you. Bale deserves a massive shout-out for a historic season. They've done a tremendous job this year. So they're flames for me. Flames for me Flames for me this week is easy. I'm going to give it to Aaron Gordon. You know, And I'm sure Aaron Gordon could care less about me giving him flames. He considering should. He's he, should. He, should. He, he should value your accomplishment. Your, 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 your praise. He should. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he, he feels like, you know, I should have some hardware. You know, all these people telling me how great of a dunker I am and how I've won all these dunk contests, but yet I have no hardware to prove it because for the second year in his career, second time in his career, he's been robbed. And I'll say it, he's been robbed of a slam dunk champion championship. Um, this year, it was given to Derrick Jones Jr., uh, who, by the way, I thought put in a put on a very solid performance. There, there were people on the telecast. I don't remember who. I don't want to name any names. But there were people on the telecast that were saying this was the greatest, one of the greatest, you know, or the might be the greatest dunk contest ever. You know, it's up there. I'm like, well, all right, we got to slow down. You know, I, I think, you know, I, I thought Aaron Gordon put on a heck of a performance. I thought Derrick Jones did did as well, but you know, I mean. This I don't think this was better than Levine and Gordon, which, is, I mean, that's not saying that much because that was an excellent, that was an excellent uh, one as well. But and that's a hard one to top. But yeah, no, nah, I mean, I, with that being said, though, um, Aaron Gordon had a fifty on every dunk until the last one. Uh, the last one should have been a fifty because the last one was his best dunk, in which he jumped over Taco Fall. Uh, which now at this point, I don't want to see anyone jump over anybody. the The jumping over thing is now to me irrelevant because no one, unless you're going to jump over Taco Fall again, which no one wants to see that again because mm-hmm. we've already seen it. I don't want to see you know, or unless you're like five eight, like Renee Robinson, if you're a little guy maybe, but like I don't need to see you jump over, you know, Pat Connaughton jumping over Christian Yelich was cool. But like, I mean, I mean, at this point, now we've seen Taco Fall get jumped over. It's yeah, he's rough. yeah, it's done now. We don't need to see anyone jump over anybody. Yeah, it's done. You know, we we see it all the time, and it's it's, it's becoming a tired act. Derrick Jones, I don't know. He was doing the same dunk. He was doing some variation of between the legs dunk. <laughs> you know, every time. And Aaron Gordon, I'm not saying Aaron Gordon's dunks were like the greatest I've ever seen, but I thought that should have been an easy win. Derrick, uh, Dwayne Wade. Want to throw his hat in the ring? He easily could have been trash this week for you know. Uh, clearly, the judges had some 
you know, some agreement, some silent alliance that EJ knows that inside joke. <laughs> that's some silent alliance to to make it a tie between Jones and Gordon for whatever reason, because Jones Gordon did a better dunk than Jones did. But um Dwayne Wade sensed an opportunity to give his Miami Heat brethren his former teammate Derek Jones was also a huge gaffe by the NBA. Uh his former teammate and a chance to win a, a, a dunk contest. Yeah, they, so he took it. Yeah. They got they got to it's hard to be too mad at Dwayne Wade cuz that's his teammate but I mean that's just like nah man I look I, I had bad. some respect for Dwayne Wade man like I lost some respect like you know you're supposed to be a, a basketball you're you're on TV at this point you're supposed to be a basketball legend you're a future hall of famer I thought you would be beneath just just hand giving hand delivering and rigging dunk contests for but your people boy. People understand about Wade, man. Wade has a little bit of like Isaiah Thomas in him, and that he has that great oh. smile, and he's a great, great ambassador for the game, and just a great person. It seems like all yeah. around. Um, but he's got that Isaiah Thomas in him, where he's kind of sneaky, and he'll do some things that if you really pay attention, like Look, uh, as a Celtic you know, fan, Celtic, oh, they think he does. The Celtic fans think he's very dirty. They think he broke Rondo's elbow on purpose. Yeah, you he know, dislocated Rondo's elbow. Broke Kobe's nose at an all-star game. You know, like, he always seems to find himself in these weird scenarios where it's like, why is it always you? You're supposed to be missing. Like, we always point to Chris Paul for that. But Wade's got a little bit of that in him, too. And I think this was, like, another example of him, like, kind of showing that a little bit. You know, the you know the whole Miami, you know, the, the big three and how that all came about. And him doing all these, you know, Meetings with all these teams saying that, you know, I'm ready to give you guys a championship if you want me. And meanwhile, he's been working this deal with getting Bosch to LeBron to Miami for months, it seemed like. Years even, if you count the Olympics. Um, it's just, it, 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 there's things about Wade that I'm not I'm not surprised that he was in the middle of all this, this controversial dunk contest. But shout out to Aaron Gordon, man. I mean, I did not think he could put on that performance after what he did in Toronto against... Uh, against Levine, especially because he came back next year and didn't do very well. And I thought, well, maybe, you know, one year he did great, but, you know, it's going to be tough to replicate that. And he put on a show, man, an absolute show. Yeah, he. I think he did better this He arguably did better this time. I wouldn't say that because, I mean, the, the dunk over between the, the, the Between the legs, <laughs> thing, it's still I the greatest dunk. Know. It's the greatest dunk in dunk on history. I'm sorry. Yeah, I, yeah. That's yeah, nuts. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> but... Um, from from a, a standpoint of like every dunk he did was a fifty. Yeah, it's crazy. They have to change the scoring system. They the scoring do. system is too archaic. It's 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 too. It limits these dunk. And look, these judges, man. I, and hey, look, it's a dunk contest. You're gonna get but so upset. But like, just like the thing we talked about the Astros, like. This is affecting these guys' money, man. Like Aaron Gordon's gonna lose endorsement. Yeah. You know, Derek Jones just signed a, a signed a shoe deal with Puma, just like <laughs> a couple of days ago, because he won the dunk contest. Yeah. So that's affecting these guys' money. So yes, this is a big deal. And so when you got these judges that are giving Dwight Howard a ten because he put on a cape <laughs> and he did a normal dunk, <laughs> giving them a ten. <laughs> He had the by far the worst dunk of the night, and they gave him a ten. There's some of the people that people that gave him a ten. And then then give Aaron Gordon a nine for jumping over a seven foot five man. Jumping over a seven foot five center. Yeah, no. That's it's... at that point. That's when I'm like, go to fan voting, go to crowd voting, go to, <laughs> you know, put, go to media voting, like do something. But like, we can't have this judges thing where like. Yeah, you know, who do you got? Are you going to give him a 9 or I'll give him a 10? Like, what? 
what are we doing, man? It's 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 lame. You now you got guys John Morant saying, "Oh, now nah, I made my decision to not do it easier." You know, like he doesn't want right. to do. What Aaron Gordon said he's done. Yeah. Like it's a shame. Yeah, yeah. What was an incredible performance? That was the only downside. That it seems like guys saw that and was like, yeah, "I'm not trying to be a part of that clown show." Um, which sucks because it was a great event and the whole Saturday night was great. The three point shootout was great too. Gordon made yep. shout outs for what he did and shout outs to Derrick Jones too. He I mean, he would have been a deserving champion in any other year. And even this year, you could argue. But because um, he also had a, a great performance and another bounce back performance because he didn't do well last year. So seeing him come back and, and really do such a good job was it was last year, a couple years. I forgot when he was in it. Maybe two years ago. He was yeah. awesome. Um, trash for me. Trash. I got Aubrey Huff, man. Um, Aubrey Huff is trash. We don't know Aubrey Huff. He's a former baseball player. He won a World Series. Giant for, legend. He won a World Series for the for the San Francisco Giants. And was a great player for the Giants. He had some big hits in the playoffs. Um, was definitely <laughs> instrumental in their playoff run. But the, the team could care less. Because they've decided that they're not going to celebrate him as part of their, um, their, their, their celebration of the 2010 World Series championship. The reason why they've cited is because Huff has a long history of very um, racially insensitive, misogynistic, homophobic, all around, just, you know, violent, very just awful commentary on Twitter. Um, I guess I should say that he's a conservative, but to me, I think that that's not the point because I don't... And I think that that's on some level what, you know, what he's doing is like, it's almost, it's a, it's putting a bad name on conservatives. Right. Yeah. Like to me, like, and like some people may feel like, oh, this is same thing about, you know, liberal media, but like, I don't think you want to claim this guy. (laughs) I think like to me, like, you know. You read some of the stuff he's put out there. I'm not going to repeat them on here because I don't feel like it's necessary. I don't want to give him that platform. It's, it, like, it makes sense why the Giants would be like, nah, he's not the guy we should be celebrating. And I'm calling him trash because, one, he's, again, had this history. But he made matters worse because he went on the radio in San Francisco. And one radio host tried to give him a chance to clean himself, maybe apologize or whatever. And instead, he decided not to. He decided to, in fact, double down. And one of the main issues the Giants had with him was that him slamming the team's hiring of a female coach, um, the first female coach in, in MLB history, Alyssa Nacken. And he tweeted, quote, I got in trouble for wearing a thong in my clubhouse uh, when female reporters were present. Can't imagine how it will play out when a full-time female coach running around. This has Me Too, Believe All Women written all over it, only in, in the San Francisco Giants pretty disparaging <laughs> so you're talking about being upset that you're you're not gonna be honored by this team and you're you said only the san francisco giants yeah, I mean, that's of, that's an outward disrespect you know what i'm saying yeah look i'm a giants fan and like that that like there, there's there there's you know politics and there's political feelings and this that and the other thing but you know like you have to understand like when you tweet something like that towards your former employer they're not gonna welcome you back with open arms you know, like that's just anything. That's not poli- that's not just politics. That's not just sports. That's in any in any. He's lucky. He lucky. Uh, he's lucky that you know the Giants are nice, man. This was James Dolan. Man, he might have had a hit off for him or something. <laughs> they yeah, James, James Dolan would have talked about his audience like this. He would have sent the goons. 
out to get him. But um, so he yeah, had that. No, look, I've never. And James Go- James Dolan just won his lawsuit against Charles Oakley. He did, so yeah. That confirms EJ's beliefs. But uh, Charles Oakley was it was his lawsuit against James Dolan, rather. Yeah. But still, um, Aubrey Huff. Uh, not nah, I was never the biggest Aubrey Huff fan. I, I will be honest. I I was not aware of Aubrey Huff's uh, his uh, second career as a you know. He's not. It's not even a career because he hasn't. Yeah, he doesn't do anything. <laughs> He's not yeah, on a show so, or anything. Yeah. He's just right. Yeah, he's just, just an interesting character. He's just a Twitter um, guy. But I, so I was not aware of this. I, I you know, I, Aubrey Huff is not in the, the 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 sphere of what you know of my what I look at. But uh, <laughs> but still, I thought it, it you know it was, it was it's interesting. Uh, I I told you before the show. I, I thought it was strange that we were even doing a ten year anniversary for this. <laughs> For the championship team, it feels a little early, but uh, nevertheless, we are doing it. And Aubrey Huff, he was he was a member of that team, and he he was a starter, and you know he he played a he was a contributor and played a role in us winning that World Series. But you can tell the story of the San Francisco Giants without Aubrey Huff. You know, like he's not a he's not a franchise pillar. You know, and honestly, it almost doesn't matter who this is. It gets to a point where like. And for certain teams and certain demographics, like I'm sure if Aubrey Huff was playing for other organizations, this could fly. But it, it, no, the, man, it, I don't. I don't expect the Buffalo Bills. I don't expect the Buffalo Bills to bring back OJ, you know, for for whatever anniversary. I don't expect you know whenever his, his Heisman Trophy, you know, thing comes around. I don't think that USC will be bringing back OJ. Like, yeah, this idea that you know just because you were great on the field means they have to celebrate you. And those OJ was way better than this guy, and albeit what he's accused of is way worse than obviously what this guy. Did. <laughs> yeah, but, but still, it's just my point that like you know there are plenty of athletes who because of how they conduct themselves after their career, they're not welcome back. And just real quick, I did want to get to what he said in that interview. I know I teased it. He said um, they asked him about it, and instead of being apologetic, he doubled down. He said, "I don't believe a woman should be in men's pro sports. Absolutely not. There's so many." People, especially men who grind it out, who deserve that spot more than she does. Um, yeah, yeah, that's what I'm trying to say. You know, what I'm saying that uh, he said he, men belong in. Uh, he doesn't think men belong in women's college sports either. He said, "Why would they want to be there? I don't want to coach women in sports. Women are tough enough to deal with anyway." And the guy, the radio host, was like, "Fam, you know that might not be the best thing to say at this point in time. That's kind of messed up." And he's like. Hey man, you guys have me on. This is how I joke. You don't like it, you don't have to interview me. And it's just I don't know. I mean, it's all right there. It's not really much for me to have to even comment on why this Giants this made their decision. You know, shout out to you know Farhan Zaidi, our, our president of baseball operations, and you know Larry Bear and our owner, and you know whoever else made that those determinations. But because it's not easy just to say one of your former champions, you know, banned from a championship anniversary ceremony but um it, but it probably was the right move you know what's your trash this weekend though? uh trash for me this week ej is the as usual per usual this time of the year the nba buyout market um it is what you know i guess now that we're post trade deadline it's what everyone's talking about in the transaction wire you know, it's the only reason people now are still following Adrian Wojnarowski and Sham Sharani is to find out where is Marvin Williams going, EJ? 
where is Damari Carroll gone? Um, the big moves on the buyout market so far, the first one was Michael K. Gilchrist went to Dallas. I thought that was actually pretty substantial. I mean, you know, I, it's a shame that Kid Gilchrist has gotten to the point where now he's getting bought out. But, you know, that's where we're at. You know, with, with Michael K. Gilchrist, he's a bust. And, but I think he could actually have a good impact, a positive impact in Dallas. Uh, Marvin Williams ended up signing in Milwaukee, which I believe is his first team since leaving Charlotte. Or did he go back to Charlotte? Uh, wait, who? Marvin Williams. Has he Marvin ever Williams? left? No, he's been, I think he's been, no, no, he was in Atlanta. Yeah, he was in Atlanta. You're right, you're right, yeah. you're right. Uh, was he drafted by Atlanta? Yeah. Yeah, all right. Some reason I thought he was drafted by Charlotte. Yeah, they drafted uh, Raymond Felton. Yes. I, we got to mix up with the North Carolina guy. Exactly. But, um, but yeah, nah. Uh, Marvin Williams is in Milwaukee now. Um, and the real kicker, though, is all these people in the last couple of days that have been talking about uh, the Rockets picking up Damari Carroll, who got bought up by San Antonio, and Jeff Green as if, like, these guys are going to make any impact on <laughs> on anything. And, you know, people talking about Reggie Jackson getting picked up by the Clippers. I think that's a nice move, but for being real, like, the Clippers have a lot of guards already. Like, I don't think Reggie Jackson's going to be playing 30 minutes a night. Like, he's not going to be playing crunch time playoff minutes. Those are going to be going to Beverly, Lou Williams, probably even Landry Shamit over Reggie Jackson. Um a shout out to Reggie Jackson. He now has a chance to win a championship. So that's why he would take a role like that. Uh, Damari Carroll hasn't been a positive impact player in like three, four years. Um, neither has Jeff Green. So I don't think any of these moves have any bearing on anything. But when it comes to buyout season, that's all we talk about is, whoa, you know, Damari Carroll gives the Rockets a lot of wing depth and a Swiss Army knife to use in the the, the, the the playoffs. And I'm like, he's not going to play more than 10 minutes a night. But, <laughs> but at, some, at this point, we need something to talk about. Um, I do think Trishan Thompson is one to look out for because I think Trishan Thompson's had a good year uh, and could help a playoff team. Yeah, I think that um, Thompson definitely... Uh, I don't know what to make of the Reggie Jackson thing because they definitely... I thought that was the one thing they were kind of missing. Like, you know, Lou Williams can score from the perimeter from, like, the quote-unquote point guard spot. But he's kind of the only guy they have that can do that. Patrick Beverly doesn't really do that. Shamit's really a shooter. So they need another kind of uh, downhill guard, as, you know, these coaches would say. And Reggie can certainly do that. He's extremely effective in pick and roll. It's the only thing he's effective at. But if they run that often, he can have some success. So uh, I thought that was a decent move, though. The only thing about him is the last time he had to take a lesser role, he was, by all accounts, a malcontent. His teammates did not like him in Oklahoma City. A lot of yeah, that's the fact the that thing. he didn't like a lesser role. So what's he going to do you now? You thought he was better than Durant in, in Westbrook. Right. And that, so and what makes me think he's not going to think he's better than Kawhi, PG, and Lou Williams? Hopefully years of being humbled. Hopefully years of being humbled. Now, apparently... Boys would put, he's been humble and apparently he's, he's really close friends with Paul George. You're right. Same agent and they've always wanted to play with each other. It's always that weird thing of like, oh yeah, me and Paul George always want to play with each other. Like, what? Why does Paul George ever want to play with Reggie Jackson? But I mean, <laughs> guess they're boys. But um so you know, you know, you hope that that is like something that'll 
change his 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 playing style to a one that's more positive and winning in in a winning playing style but he hasn't been in a winning environment in like five years yeah so yeah, sometimes uh, those guys man that have been playing on losing situations for a long period of time you'll be surprised the bad pick up habits they pick up they may have some talent but you know you just never know what you're getting in some of those situations yeah yeah so for me i mean look trishan thompson the clippers our team that he'll certainly look at you know, I don't really think the Lakers even need him, but the Lakers really. are just fishing for somebody. And he's a clutch sport uh, guy, so anything's possible. Exactly, he's a clutch guy. Um, honestly, I think he could help the Celtics. Uh, I don't know if he's the like he's the best big man. Like, I don't know how much of an upgrade he is over Tice, but I think he's better than those guys, Tice and Cantor. So, but he's also a clutch sports guy, like you mentioned. So, we, <laughs> if Rich Paul did anything to help Danny Ainge. Uh, I, I have my doubts. Let's wrap the show. Kendall, what we got for trash? Uh, or Kendall's court? Yeah, Kendall court. Sorry. Yeah, uh, sorry. So yeah, trash. Ken- um, Kendall's court this week. Uh, I'm gonna talk about John Beeline. Uh, John Beeline was the uh, head coach of the Cleveland Cavaliers. Obviously, prior to that, was head coach of Michigan. Uh, and he went to multiple Final Fours under John Beeline, but decided at 65 that he was gonna take. Uh, stab at coaching in the NBA. He has now uh, since since uh, decided to part ways with the Cavs and has been reassigned into a role within the organization that is had nothing to do with coaching, uh, which means basically they're just giving him a check to go away. Um, he JB Bakerstaff, who's been on this, who's, was on his coaching staff, been promoted to to the head coach, and this beeline thing look haven't worked from the get go. You know, people now come out and said basically that that team has been out on beeline since since he was hired. You know, like before they even played any games, they had already started tuning him tuning him out. Um, it looked like it. Yeah, play. yeah, you could tell. You not? You did, I didn't need a, a report to tell me that. I had to do was turn on NBA League Pass. Things were getting really bad recently. Sham Sharania even reported that players had started uh, playing songs with that were synonymous with the term thug, you know, whether it be, you know, uh, artists with the name thug, you know, young thug and this, that, and the other thing. And, uh, or lyrics with, with the term thug very, or songs with the name, with the term thug, uh, <laughs> in them. And they were playing them loudly in front of beeline as a, to make a point. Uh, he claims that they these were used to make light of the situation, but that's still, it's not positive if you want a winning coach. I think if pop, I think if um, pop slipped up, you wouldn't see any Spurs players playing young thug in front of him. Yeah, they, yeah. They I don't probably think, would have I don't think Bill Belichick is letting that happen. Exactly. Uh, in New England, um, yeah, it got bad, you know. And it, the Andre Drummond thing was weird because I didn't even realize this, or I, I know it, I know it, but I, I didn't put two and two together that, you know, his agent is Jeff Schwartz, who's also the agent for Kevin Love. And they so they trade for Andre Drummond, knowing that Andre Drummond's agent, and Andre Drummond, who's going to be a free agent, has the same agent as Kevin Love, who John Beeline and Kevin Love couldn't stand each other from everything that we know. Particularly, Kevin Love couldn't stand John Beeline. And so they trade for that guy. And it's been reported now by Sam Sharania that uh, Andre Drummond, in only two short weeks, made it very clear 
he was not re-signing with this team if John Beeline was a coach. So and this got all the way ugly for Cleveland. Um, Kobe Altman completely bungled this, this hire. And I look, Kobe Altman's done some good stuff in Cleveland. This isn't a bashing of Kobe Altman, but it's a shame. But for me, I look, I care less about the future of the Cleveland Cavaliers right now. Um, I think most nice people listening uh, <laughs> feel the same. The question I have, though, is uh, where do you think John Beeline ends up? And I'm gonna I'm gonna give you a list uh, of teams, and I'm, I want you to tell me where do you where you think John Beeline would be most likely to end up, PJ. Um, either college basketball programs, uh, Texas, Boston College. Uh, Wake Forest, Indiana, Minnesota, uh, DePaul, and Villanova are teams that have all been Villanova, if Jay Wright were to leave, are all teams that have been thrown out there. Do any of those do any of those that you, that that I mentioned stick out to you as making sense for John Beeline? Or do you of, think that a lot of schools you gave me? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll give you. I'll shorten it up yeah. to some of the bigger ones. But you know, Texas, Indiana, Wake Forest, um, DePaul, Boston College. Any of those stick out? Beeline at Boston College. Beeline looks like a Boston College kind of coach. I feel like he would. Beeline, you know how, how I feel about Beeline as a college coach. I think he's exceptional. I knew this NBA thing wasn't going to work out. This is not surprising at all, but I don't know how that will affect his coaching in college. It hasn't really affected other guys who have gone back. They've usually gone back and had success. So I think he'll be fine. Beeline looks like a Boston College guy to me, and Boston College has been like a dormant program for a decade. They could use someone like him. Um, yeah. The one that intrigues me the most is obviously Indiana because he coached in the Big Ten. He's Midwest, and yeah. He he has those Midwest ties. He recruits very well in that area. And the question would be how how trigger happy would Indiana be with how with the Archie Miller experiment? Because there were high expectations the last two years and they didn't go very well. I, I think those expectations actually were too high. So I almost feel like it would be wrong to move on him this quickly. But it's Indiana and they don't accept mediocrity. So with them moving on him in three years, in which, uh, you know, if they don't make the tournament this year, that'd be three years in a row where they didn't make the tournament. Last year, they had the best player in the state. And if you had the best player in the state in Indiana, you should be fine. They still didn't make the tournament. Yeah, well, maybe the best player in the state of Indiana ever. Right, <laughs> exactly. Right. So, like, <laughs> yeah. so like, it, it, they, they're not going to be patient with him. So, I could, I could, I can maybe see that. And if, they, if he left, I think Beeline would be a great fit. But all those schools, I mean, I think he's a great coach. I honestly think that any school that could hire John Beeline, I think, will be in, in really good shape. I, I don't think that the NBA game was right for him. I don't think that NBA lifestyle was right for him. I knew those players beat him a lot, and that's exactly what happened. And he just wasn't ready for that. And he didn't handle himself in a way that was uh, becoming of an NBA coach. And I think a lot of it, it was kind of like Manford. Where I think, like, you know, dude just wilted under that kind of pressure. And it's not easy. I, I don't... You know, I know I was hard on Manfred, but I don't mean that. I don't mean that to be disrespectful to to to, um, to Beeline at all. I mean, the, coaching in the NBA, coaching in college is a different beast. There's some things, some aspects about coaching in college that NBA coaches have struggled with. So it goes back and forth. 
But um, his personality, his style of coaching, no way was that going to get through, even a young team. And it's a bad match with the Cavaliers because they're a young team with no talent, but then they also have these, like, veterans who think they should be winning championships and champions. competing in, yeah. for titles, and they, they're not going to listen to someone like him. So, to me, like, if you got a guy like Beeline, like, you got to give him a full blank slate, no stars, all rookies and young players. Well, with the Celtics, guys trying to with Danny Ainge, Right. Like the Celtics, they, right. I mean, with Brad Stevens, like, exactly. they, we had Rondo, who was hurt for most of Danny Ainge's uh, and then we got rid of him. Yeah. The first sight of anything, you know, a little. He's playing a little decent. All right, good. Let's get some value. Yeah, anything get him weird, here. Rondo is all right. And at the time, we got nothing back for him. It was Jay Crowder and, like, a first-round pick. That seemed like awful value for a Hall of Fame point guard. Right. At the time, an all-star point guard. And it, it was the right move because it gave Brad Stevens a completely clean slate, a bunch, of a bunch of overachievers and, you know, young players that he could work with. And, look, Colin Sexton's had a good year, and Kevin Porter's starting to come on, and – you know, a lot of the young talent has played well. It's just been the vets have completely, you know, taken that team over. Yeah. And ran them into the ground. So, look, I don't, I don't blame Beeline. Uh, Texas is the one where I could see most likely happening. It's I not mean, a Texas hit. is the most fun job. Like, like that to me, like, I, I still feel like I don't know why Texas basketball or football is so hard. I don't, I don't get it. All the money, all the resources – one of the coolest places in America. Great, te- great fertile recruiting ground. I don't get it. I, it's shocking to me. Shaka Smart has struggled so much, and that he'll likely be gone. See the Shaka soon. Smart thing. I knew I was out on the Shaka Smart of Texas the minute I saw he wasn't running his havoc system. For the first time I saw that, I was like, man, this isn't going to work because he was so reliant on playing that brand of basketball at VCU. So then, I guess he thought it was too gimmicky, or he thought he felt he didn't need to do it anymore because he had real talent. But <laughs> you take the gimmick away. Yeah, I mean, that was, that was like, a recruiting tool. That could have been a potential recruiting tool. Could have been a, compl- a, a potential recruiting tool. Like that's like a guy in college football, like saying, like honestly, it's like when Chip Kelly, like decided, yeah, we're not going to run like this, uh, this, this offense anymore, mm-hmm. and he became very ordinary. Now he's very ordinary in college. Yeah, like. Chip- you're right, you right about a that. It's a good, it's a good analogy. When you, have the, when you have a specific gimmick, you're like, yeah, you know what? Nah, now that I have real talent, I'm just going to go back to being ordinary or try try to do regular stuff. Then you realize you're not that great a coach. So, yeah, I mean, Shaka Smart, that that thing wasn't going to work once he thought he was going to – once he got away from Havoc and, you know, tried to do other stuff. But um, that job will be open, and I expect – you know, they'll make a call to Beeline. With my Beeline wants to go all the way down to Texas uh, is one thing. Uh, I do agree Boston College makes a lot of sense for both parties. If he if he feels like he can – if he feels like he could he could win there. But, you know, Beeline has never been one to really want to engage in, like, the, the five-star, you know, recruiting battles. So going to Texas, like, that's what you're going to need probably. You don't need it. He didn't really need it at Michigan. I don't think he That's does. Also, you know, a brand name program. Yeah, I disagree. I don't think he does. He's saying that he doesn't really need that. He needs good players. He's going to get you all those four stars and guys like that. But like, I guess the question is like, will people be patient with him not doing that? Because like, I agree. I don't think yes, he needs because it. he can win at Boston College. People won't care. 
I'll say yes can people. Yeah, no, I'll say yes because he can win. Because he can take a team like Texas and do it his way and get to the final four. Like, people right. aren't patient with you when you don't win. A, a beeline rebuild is not going to take very long. Again, I, I think that highly of him as a college basketball coach. He's exceptional on that level. And he knows how to get his players to play the right way. They know his system well. He develops players well. It only take him two or three years before they're competing. I think he's that good. So that's why I think, to me, like, in the end, I'm like, I know Archie has not been there very long. I, I don't know if Archie has no chance of turning it around. But, like, if you can get beeline, man, I, I just, I don't know how you're not competing in a couple of years for conference championships, national championships. He never recruits as well as Tom Izzo. And Michigan State and Michigan over the last decade, pretty much a wash. That looked, that sounded unthinkable before John Beeline got there. Michigan, ever since the Fab Five era and Michigan program got hammered by those sanctions, hadn't been the same for a long time. And he just completely resurrected uh, Michigan basketball. He, before that, West Virginia was a doormat in the Big East forever. He made them into a very relevant team in their conference. West Virginia is what they are now because of what Beeline started there. And then Huggins went there and piggybacked off of that. He's a great coach. I think he'll do great wherever he does. More likely to be coaching college basketball next year. I agree. John Beeline or, or Rick Pitino? Oh, Beeline. Rick Pitino ain't coaching no college basketball ever. Who, who, who'd you say? Beeline. Rick Pitino ain't never coaching college basketball. Oh. oh not, no, not, not, not Division One. <laughs> really? No, nah, he ain't coaching again. No. Nah. I think we'll see. I, I would be surprised if we see him next year. I mean, there was a lot of smoke around the UNLV thing, you know, last time. Last year, uh, that would have been a lot of fun. If they that would have been, been fun. Um, I've heard some talk about maybe UMass if they have they may have an opening. Will they go to Rick? You know, DePaul's another team. I, I can see one of these schools that like has just like Memphis was when they hired Penny Hardaway. They had nothing to lose. You're like you know, let's, let's just get back in the game. Let's try. Let's try. I mean, we've tried everything over the last you know twenty years. Like, why don't we try something crazy and Rick Pitino is, is is he's at a point where like he has to go to one of those schools. He can't he can't wait out for a blue blood. He was hoping UCLA, you know, he's hoping Dick Vitale could could you know scream his name enough to get to get in the running for UCLA. But you know, I, I could I I would say right now I would say well, I would if he was relying on Dick Vitale, that wasn't very wise because Dick Vitale will will praise you tomorrow and say you should be banned, you know, in a couple of weeks. You can't. Dick Vitale yeah. changes his mind now, like the wind. So he would want Dick Vitale. Dick Vitale give him a job. That's why he's unemployed. That's why he's in Greece or wherever the hell he is now. Yeah, this should be a very interesting coaching carousel. Though I think I expect more teams to be more open with, uh, more willing to move on from certain coaches now that guys like now that a guy beeline is available. Yeah, this. I mean, coaching carousels in college sports. As we heard talked about last week with dude from Colorado going to Michigan State in football can be problematic. Mark Antonio quitting uh, uh, like a, two days after signing day. Right? Yeah, you know, like it's 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 there's a lot of problems with it, but it does add a lot of intrigue and a lot of excitement. So Beeline being thrown in the mix will certainly make things interesting. That does it for this week's show, guys. Hope you guys enjoyed it. I want to thank you guys for listening. Of course, you should check out all of our shows on New Generation Podcast Network on SoundCloud, iTunes, and Stitcher. I want to give a massive, massive, massive shout out to our YouTube audience. We reached 400 subscribers 
today, which is a, a, a banner day for us, obviously. That's a, a great number, and we're just going to keep going, man. We're, we're, we're not stopping anytime soon. We think we got a great thing going here. We're hoping to get those subscribers listening to this podcast. I'm sure some sure you, some of you guys do, but um, getting more of them to, to, to check this out because our YouTube content is great, but our podcasts are great as well. For the podcast listeners who don't check out our YouTube stuff, you can find that at New Generation Media. Plenty of sports content, Star Wars content, superhero content, all that's good stuff, just like our podcast. So make sure you check that out. New Generation Media. Subscribe to our, our channel. Also, follow us on social media. Twitter at New Generation Pod. Instagram at New Generation Podcast. And on Facebook, New Generation Media. You can find me on social media, EJ underscore Stewart at Twitter. And action EJ on Instagram. Thank you guys so much for listening in once again. And thank you so much for all the subscribers on YouTube. Really appreciate it. For Kendall, I'm EJ. Take it easy, guys. Peace.